Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Codex Prime Podcast. I'm your host, Maurice Cerullo. We're on episode 33, and it is Tuesday, March 22nd. Uh, we have a very special episode for today. Uh, for all of us out there, we have a special guest, Paul D. Filippo. Paul, how are you today? Doing well, doing well, and uh, just anticipating spring, and uh, glad we avoided uh, a supposed blizzard that was coming our way. Right, that was uh, quite the crazy morning to afternoon change, <laughs> if you took a picture there. Um, we're going to uh, talk about some of your uh, science fiction work and uh, go over the normal, what we usually do, you know, beginning of the episode, what everyone's been up to, little reviews. Uh, I know the big thing this week was Daredevil, um, but we're going to try and save that for next week so we give some people some time to catch up and we'll have a very special episode for that. Um, but um, other than Daredevil, Eris, Paul, Vic, Carl Bird, what's everyone been up to? <laughs> Who wants to go first? <laughs> I like that. I like that show breakdown. Yeah, <laughs> letting everybody know what's up. I enjoyed that. Uh, I mean, Vic, you know what? You haven't been here a while. What's yeah. good? Oh man, I'm doing doing well right now. I'm on spring break, so I have the week off. That's why I'm back here on the show. Uh, uh, yeah, getting crazy. Oh yeah, man, getting crazy sitting at home watching Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, and uh, I too finished Daredevil Season 2, and I'll be getting into that uh, this week's uh, episode of Victor's Corner, so be on the lookout for that. It's going to be all spoiler everything, so I'll issue a spoiler tag for that. Um, watched a whole bunch of movies, uh, two of which, uh, one of which was new. Um, the one movie I watched in theaters was 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, finally got around to watching that, and that's a pretty effective uh, thriller. It's kind of a uh, Hitchcockian, kind of Twilight Zone-ish. And uh, that film uh, stars uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and uh, John Goodman and John Gallagher Jr. And the whole story is um, basically the whole the whole world's plunged, in, plunged into chaos. No one knows exactly what's happening. And uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character Michelle ends up in this um, ends up in this uh, bomb shelter, underground bomb shelter, which is inhabited by John Goodman's character, this guy named Howard, and another guy named Emmett. And uh, throughout the whole whole film, you're not too sure what. Uh, John Goodman's character is up to because he's really he comes off as extremely creepy yet you, you get the sense that he is a good man underneath like like somewhere in this past he was a good man but then something kind of broke him and he's like very controlling and he's very um, and he always holds it over her head that oh I saved your life so you know you should be thanking me he's like he's really gung-ho about that for some reason and and, and Winstead kind of plays off that very well. She's a very effective heroine, and uh, there's some small character moments in the film that kind of um, that kind of reveal like you know some of, some of her past, and it kind of you know kind of um, plays out in a very cl- really clever clever way. Um, so so the the film is cleverly written, and, and the tension in that film kind of builds and builds. And um, I will say that. Like it's definitely worth seeing, but I would say that the last 15 20 minutes, without spoiling anything. I think it does have its cr- critics, and some people kind of feel like the last, the last uh, third of the film kind of, um, I, I wouldn't say diminishes everything that came before, but it feels like a wholly different movie. It got the Cloverfield part down. Yeah, it did. <laughs> and, and without spoiling it, I will say that the last 15 to 20 minutes kind of comes off as a little too video gamey. And I'll, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely be seeing it. I love the first Cloverfield. And I like what they're yeah. doing with like the different styles of each movie. They're definitely probably going to keep going down the line. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, and, um, and, and I think that originally the film was called uh, The Cellar. It was like an ordinary spec script. And mm-hmm. J.J. Abrams just tacked on the Cloverfield Oh, name. really? Yeah, just so because he, he, he figured that no one would go see it if it was just called The Cellar. So right. does this tie into the original Cloverfield in any way? 
Um, I guess in terms of like it's in terms of like themes, but it's not like it's not a direct sequel or prequel to Cloverfield. They don't pick up the camera that they lost oh, in the first weird. one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's like a wholly different style. Think like Twilight Zone, kinda like all different sorts of sci-fi yeah. stories. You know, just with different uh, characters and whatnot. But um, I would say that I don't think it needed the Cloverfield name. I think it could have been an effective thriller on its own without it. But I kind of understand from a marketing perspective why it, it got the name tacked on. But but nevertheless, it's definitely worth seeing. Um, definitely check it out as soon as you can. And um, the second film that I saw, which is a really excellent documentary, which I saw a while ago, but I actually managed to see it again. It's uh, Jodorowsky's Dune. If anybody's ever heard of it, I know you you mentioned you wanted it's to like see a it. different it's Dune from the science fiction Dune. Um, it's actually the same one. Oh, okay, um, okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah, Jodorowsky's Dune. It's a documentary which came out in 2014, and it's a documentary about um, the filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky, who in the mid 70s he was actually hired to make his own version of Dune, which is the which which would have been the adaptation of um, what's his name. Um, Frank Herbert's uh, 1965 mm. sci-fi epic. Yep. And uh, and throughout the film, it's a, it's a pretty inspiring documentary, which kind of kind of you know celebrates creativity, and it kind of spurs you to kind of you know to dive deep into your own creative well, I, I suppose. And what's cool about the documentary is that Jodorowsky, um, he he's like he has all these grand ideas for 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 the film, and you could tell that he was like a, about two or three decades ahead of his time mm-hmm. because. The ideas that he had for this film was like was crazy. Like he had this whole dream team of artists that he wanted to work with, like H.R. Giger, who did a, the xenomorph design for Alien. Uh, he wanted to work with Salvador Dali, uh, Orson Welles, David Carradine, uh, Mick Jagger, Tangerine Dream, Pink Floyd, wow. and uh, uh, Gene Gerard, known as Mobius, one of the more acclaimed comic artists of all time, and. He wanted to assemble all these people to work on this big uh, adaptation of Dune, which would have been, in his view, a 14 to 15 hour epic, and um, it would have incorporated so many, so many uh, great and creative sci-fi, sci-fi themes and whatnot. And the and the, and the film it kind of shows him he has this like this huge book, like this huge like encyclopedia, this tome, which is filled with nothing but like uh, sketches and uh, designs and storyboards of of his film, and and you know. And apparently the the studio or the studios and the producer said that we, we can't make this you know this is not feasible <laughs> like just, just just from just from a financial standpoint alone like this is ridiculous this, there's no way we can get make this happen but um but it, but what was cool about the film is that um it kind of shows how even though that this film was never made it shows that how the concepts and the ideas from from his movie from his would-be movie actually actually became a wellspring for all these other influential science fiction stories and, and, and films like Aliens, Star Wars, Fifth Element, uh, The Matrix, uh, Dark City, The Terminator. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could see all those ideas from those films coming from Jodorowsky's Dune, and it's, I was like, wow, man! Just you could tell how far ahead of his time he was, and and uh, it, it's it's a it's an it's an awesome documentary. Even if you have no familiarity with Dune, like from what I understand. Um, I know that the Dune was adapted twice on screen, like mm-hmm. in the David Lynch film in 1984, which was not well received, but it has its fans. And then it then it was remade into a 2000 miniseries on the Sci-Fi Channel, which was not well received because well, it's a Sci-Fi Channel and it looks cheap. Mm-hmm. So, 
So uh, you need a big yeah. You you need a sixteen hour epic to cover Dune, I think. Yeah, and I think nowadays with like Netflix and as Amazon, all these streaming services, it could be done. Um, it's just it's just a matter of who wants to. So we're getting it in the right hands. Yeah. Right hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do Do you guys know uh, Jodorowsky's own um, science fiction comics? Um, I've seen. I'm familiar with a couple of them. I haven't read any of them. Oh yeah, they're fantastic. They're he scripts them and he has various artists, but the main one is called uh, the Incal, I N C A L, and they're just uh, you got to pick them up. They're they're fantabulous and. Uh, um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think there's even plans to film the Incal, either as an animated feature or a live action, I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant comics uh, scriptwriter. And you can see in the Incal, I think he does some stuff that he would have done in the Dune movie in terms of, like, special effects and this widescreen kind of epic plotting. And that's yeah. current in current publication. No, um, there's there's like uh, trade paperbacks of it. They originally appeared decades ago, yeah. like in the '80s or whatever. But uh, and then there's like a spinoff called the Meta Barons, and there's there's several spinoffs of the Incal. But uh, yeah, they're really they're really fabulous. Yeah. yeah the, the, so it sounds like that did for science fiction movies what Dune did for science fiction books, <laughs> which yeah. is great. That's okay. nice. Yeah. What what uh, this reminds me of, and I haven't seen it myself, is uh, Terry Gilliam tried to make uh, Don Quixote, and uh, he failed several times. Mm -hmm. He tried it like oh, two yeah. or three times, and there's a documentary that's very, supposed to be very similar to this about how what he intended with this big epic Don Quixote movie, and he couldn't bring it to the screen. Oh yeah, Lost in La Mancha. Yeah, that's yeah. the one, Vic. Yep. And they have the. Uh... What was the, the new the Batman the Superman Lives? They're doing the documentary about that. Yeah, uh, they're trying to make that one. Now it's interesting now with Batman Superman coming out this weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that a lot of good. Sometimes the story behind it is more interesting than the movie itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's crazy. So we forgot that movie's coming out this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. I was just talking to Maurice about it today at work. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, two good films. Check them out. And uh, last but not least, real quick, I. Um, two weeks ago, I went ahead to GameSpot, GameSpot mm -hmm. or GameStop. GameStop. Yeah, GameStop. <laughs> and I bought the one and only copy of Ghostbusters, the video game. Which we've, we've talked <laughs> about, yeah. For the PS3. And uh, this this would have been the third movie. And this was actually written by Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd. Mm -hmm. And has the original cast in the in the game. And this game is, is total fun, man. It's... Man... If if only they got together and made the third movie, I would have been I would have been cool. But yeah. hey, this is the next best thing. Yeah. And um, if anything, if if people will, if people end up being disappointed about this new Ghostbusters reboot that's coming out, just play the game. That's that's your third movie right there. Yeah. One of the things Paul we talked about the previous episode was the new Ghostbusters trailer. Mm. And we were trying to do like reactions, all that stuff, and kind of reactions to that. And then we we're saying, oh, yeah. this is the third one. If you're yeah, if you're not interested in that one, there you go. <laughs> now, now, did they just release that in connection with the movie, no. or that's been out a while? It's been out yeah. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was they tried to do it instead of the the movie, yeah. but yeah, way, way back when. But yeah, it was really written by the original guys and all the voices. And uh, nice. Because I know some people were disappointed that this one coming out was going to be. So radically different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. I know they have, they're having cameos, but they're not even playing the same people. So I'm yeah. very confused as to what yeah. this movie's going to be. So Isn't Slimer making a cameo as well? Yeah. I'm sorry? Isn't Slimer making a cameo as well? <laughs> I know he was in the trailer. I know that. Yeah. I saw him. <laughs> I, think, I think he's the only returning I watched him like that one time, and I was like, okay, that's it. Yeah. 
That's exactly what it is. So, yeah. That's what it's funny you're doing your research bit because we talked about that in the last episode. <laughs> so, like, if, you, if you're not, yeah, if you're not interested, go play the game. And it's written by them, which is the best part. Yeah. What, what kind of game is it? Is it like a third person shooter type deal? Yeah. Okay. Yep. And you play as a unnamed rookie who's hmm. like the fifth uh, unofficial. <laughs> oh, that's what the game. third movie's actually supposed to be. Like, yeah. the, the, the original. Uh, idea for the third, the real third Ghostbusters movie was them basically passing the torch to a new rookie team, mm. and they were supposed to be working in conjunction. I think like Ben Stiller and a couple of other people were involved with that at one point or another. Mm. And I don't know if that would have been a good thing, but <laughs> I'd probably rather see that than what they're putting out there now. Yeah, yeah. But and I will say that Ghostbusters the video game, it's it's. It's a better sequel than Ghostbusters 2. Because wow. part 2 was pretty bad. Yeah, it was my favorite. <laughs> but if you're a Ghostbusters fan, I would say it's a definite... Is it funny? It is. It is. It's just genuinely uh, has that Ghostbusters trauma down to the original score from the first film. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Is Bill Murray in it? Yeah. Cool. They're all the cast. <laughs> they're all their likenesses and their voices and everything. Cool. That's awesome. I might have to check that out. Yeah, definitely worth it. You still have your PS3? Yeah. Okay. He's got everything. He's got every yeah. console. Yeah, I have a lot of consoles. <laughs> <laughs> I collect that stuff. It's a big, uh, not big. Uh, Aris, I think you see you got some comic book conversation here too. Yeah. What you been reading? I've been reading. Uh, I suppose the the oldest. Uh, I mean, it's a current run, but I've been uh, reading up on the brand new uh, Dark Knight run. Uh, Frank Miller. Uh, is uh, putting out The Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. And uh, The Dark Knight, um, it's one of my favorites, uh, you know, Batman storylines from a long time ago. I like that universe. I like that. It's a different portrayal of Batman. It's like if Batman basically grew or grew older to become a complete asshole and not really give a damn. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of feel like Batman is like... He's like that James Dean badass with a heart of gold in the regular DC universe, but in like the Dark Knight universe, he's just like a complete old crotchety bastard, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. Um, and just, uh, you know, it, the Dark Knight 1, Dark Knight 2, um, oh, especially Dark Knight 1 sort of revitalized that character and, and brought him sort of into a more modern uh, era um, when that when, when Batman was sort of down and, and Still going in like a campy, yeah, 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 it was headed in a more campy direction. Um, so uh, basically at the end of Dark Knight 2, you kind of get the sense that Bruce Wayne was headed nowhere good where he was basically dying and and at the start of dark knight 3 it it is basically like confirmed like they just straight up like batman's dead bruce wayne died and robin uh the girl robin um who was introduced yes carrie fisher was introduced in dark knight 1 uh the dark knight returns um she has taken up the mantle of Batman. So she she's that character is actually pretty interesting because she went through a very interesting um, arc wherein the Dark Knight one, she was Robin. Dark Knight two, she became a character called Catgirl, um, and that was pretty weird to me because Frank Miller tends to have this uh, this penchant for sexualizing female characters quite a bit, and that was done pretty heavily in in Dark Knight two. Um, in Dark Knight three, the the art style is kind of toned down a little more. The the Dark Dark Knight 2 is very whimsical and, and a lot of kind of watercolor um, type of art and things like that. And it was very, um, the Dark Knight 
comics in general have a very interesting look to them, look and feel. Like, it's real grungy, but part two sort of took that into a little bit more. Like, it added some more colorful parts, but it also, like, it made it so that the art seemed more blurry and you couldn't really make out, like, lines weren't all that well-defined and things like that. Um, and I know that a lot of people were clamoring for them to bring it back down to a more traditional art style, which they did. Um, and I like it. I really like the art style in Dark Knight 3. Um, and again, the, the storyline, um, like I said, uh, is for the first issue at least just focuses completely on Carrie and, and her basically taking up the mantle of the bat um, after Bruce Wayne supposedly passes away mm -hmm. after uh, what happened at the end of Dark Knight 2 where he ended up um, basically getting captured uh, by Lex Luthor and basically being tortured um, so the, the the story is that he dies now spoiler alert Batman's not dead come on <laughs> let's be real here no one believed that <laughs> um, and that's revealed at the end but basically um, things are going to hell because Batman is no longer again like out there actively fighting crime until she comes back um, and basically starts beating the hell out of uh, mysteriously beating the hell out of like the police and fighting the police and all this stuff and there's a really cool car chase in the first issue um, but it all I'm not gonna like spoil the whole thing but just to to kind of tie it into what it means because everybody was asking what the hell is the master race well what, what's is it gonna be like Nazis coming back well no so in Dark Knight 2 um, Bruce Wayne uh, saved the Bottle City of Candor, which is a long-running, like, Superman, um, uh, it's like a character in its own. It's basically the last Kryptonian city, uh, that was shrunken by Brainiac and put in a bottle. Um, so it's full of Kryptonians in there, and they've never been able to figure out how to basically make that city whole again and, and bring it, uh, to regular size. Um, which basically in this comic in issue two, you find out that the Atom, um, has been doing research since they, they rescued that city from Brainiac, um, to try and basically bring them back to a normal size, and he succeeds in doing so, um, and when he does, he ends up finding out that the city has been taken over by, like, a cult, a, uh, led by a madman, and they have killed everyone else in the city. Nope. They are now full-sized people. They're all supermen. They are a <laughs> horde of psycho cult supermen. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and it's going down. <laughs> and that's the master race. Uh, so, Dark Knight 2, 3, The Master Race, really cool so far. I just picked up issue 3, and I'll be reading that um, this week. So, uh, I'll report back on uh, where, where that's going. But so far, it's uh, like, like all the Dark Knight um, books. It's real dark, it's real interesting, and it ta it's taking the characters in a real interesting direction. Mm -hmm. um, so, I'm looking forward to continuing that. And again, nice. back to Batman Superman. Um, I think the Batman port portrayal on that is heavily influence from the original Dark Knight Returns. So, yeah. 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 Same I mean, bo both characters. I think the Batman in Batman v Superman is basically yeah. old crotchety bastard. Right, 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 right. From the Dark Knight. Like, even the costume is basically the Dark Knight costume. Um, and, uh, yeah, Batman B.A. I like him. I know that he's a complete asshole, but I like that Batman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that I uh, picked up and I've been uh, reading the first couple of issues of is the new run of the Uncanny X-Men uh, after Secret Wars. Uh, so basically the new status quo of the X-Men is uh, mutants are still a very much an endangered species and they there is uh, the 
it's called the Terrigen Mists, which I believe have been used in X-Men comics in the past. Yeah. Um, it's basically a mist that kills mutants. So it, it only kills mutants. So and that, that thing is like rampaging through the world. Um, so a lot of mutants have uh, have gone into hiding. And what's interesting is that, you know, the ones that are still out there in the public eye fighting are, are sort of, they're, they're kind of pariahs. Like, um, you know, you, you, you basically don't see too many mutants out anymore. Um, and this X-Men team, uh, the Uncanny X-Men, is led by Magneto actually, which is super interesting, um, and it consists of uh, Magneto, Psylocke, Sabretooth, uh, the uh, Archangel, um, who is like the, the angel with the metal wings, and this new character uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, the new female character that they added in there. She's like a super sassy Latino-looking chick, um, and uh, they seem to be headed down a, like a love story between her and Sabretooth which is pretty cool because you normally don't see Victor Creed involved in anything humane in the comics <laughs> <laughs> so I found that pretty interesting but basically uh, in the first two issues you see them uh, committing what looks like a heist or a crime like they're actually like following this convoy of trucks and uh, they end up basically, you know, Magneto does his Magneto thing and destroys all the roads and picks up the trucks and everything and basically runs off the, the, the workers who are transporting whatever it is in these, um, in these trucks. And it turns out that it's mutants. So, you know, you're like, oh, snap, evil corporation kidnapping mutants and whatnot. Well, no, turns out that these mutants have paid this corporation to basically put them into a uh, hibernation type sleep and put them away until the Terrigen mists are solved. And Magneto takes a offense to that, and he's like, listen, you're like the last representatives of the human race. Get your ass out there. Stop hiding. And then at the end of that, uh, that little two-issue run, it's revealed that there are this, there's a new group of something. I don't know if they're mutants or what. They look, you know, weird, like monstery. And uh, they are out to kill any healers. So they end up, like, shooting a dude right in the head after he saves this lady from, like, cancer or something. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that looks interesting. Again, I like Magneto as a character, so I'll keep reading that. It looks you, really cool. Do you get the feeling at all that Marvel is downplaying X-Men with the mists due to the movie rights, or they still are still full speed ahead? I think that ever since um, the whole uh, House of M story, like they, they've sort of kept up with this, like mutants as an endangered minority mm -hmm. Um the status quo and they're pretty much continuing full speed ahead uh, I mean I don't I don't think that they could just pull that Fantastic Four treatment on them yeah and just cancel it outright because they have an awful lot of X-Men books out there right now a lot yeah um, if only we knew someone who knew some things about the X-Men that'd be really beneficial right true <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the last thing, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I recommend uh, that that new Uncanny X-Men run. It seems interesting. I'll keep reading that, and uh, I'll report back on that. And I'll also be checking out the, I picked up the first two issues of the new Spider-Man comic, um, just Spider-Man. There's a couple. Peter Parker Spider -Man. Miles Morales. Miles Morales. Okay. So Miles yeah. Morales is now just Spider-Man. Okay. So Spider-Man is Miles Morales. Amazing Spider-Man is Peter Parker. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Peter Parker. You got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> when when he's not busy running his corporation. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. Parker yes. Industries or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. I need I need to uh, I need I'm to really pick smart. that up. I have a bunch of issues in my box at Rococo's, but. Our boy Reagan failed to pull issues one and two for me, so I'm not going to pick them up because I can't start on issue three. Get out of here. <laughs>
Shout out to Reagan. <laughs> yes. Shout out to Rococo. We love that place. Uh, and the last thing that uh, I will talk about is uh, I finally got around to checking out uh, the limited release. It's it's right now in limited release. Uh, you can only catch it in Boston here in the New England area. Uh, the Boy and the Beast, uh, which is Mamoru Hosoda's uh, new film. It's a animated uh, film. He is the director of uh, a lot of my favorite uh, recent animated movies. Uh, right, right up there on par with like G, uh, G, Studio Ghibli Productions. Um, he's done uh, Wolf Children, uh, Summer Wars, The Girl Who Left Through Time. Like all of all of his movies are excellent, uh, and I'm happy to report that The Boy and the Beast is no different. That that movie is is a banger. I I enjoyed it. It's his well, Summer Wars. I was gonna say it's like his more most action one, but it's not. Summer Wars actually had more action than this, um, but it's a different action. So basically. Um, it's, uh, the story of an orphan boy living in the street. He, his mother and father were divorced, and at the beginning of the movie, you find that his mother passed away, uh, in an accident. Uh, so he ends up basically getting adopted by, uh, his mother's family, and he is not too keen on that, so he runs away. Um, he ends up just living in the streets of Tokyo. Um, and at one point, he's on the street starving, and he's found by this giant wearing a hood um and he sees him and he looks in his eyes and he sees that he's just like this angry lost boy and he's he basically uh asks him if he wants to come with him and then just walks off um and uh turns out you know the the kid looks at at what's behind that hood and turns out that it's a bear man he's a literal bear man <laughs> uh, so he, it turns out that uh, the the main character, the bear man uh, in question here, uh, ends up being from the city of beasts, which is a world that's parallel to humanity, and the boy ends up going there. Um, and just needless to say, like it, it is a beautiful film. The animation is gorgeous. All the characters are very nuanced, which is what I like about Mamoru um, Hosoda's films. He is uh, he he. He doesn't um, linger on a lot of things that you would figure some films would. Um, if, if there's something that, like, you, you tend to see his films go through some major changes and, and, and things, like, move forward very quickly. So, you know, you might see a character that starts out as a child and by the end of the movie he's, like, a man or a teenager and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and, you know, they go through major shifts, like this film very much does the same, where it kind of goes from him being a child and um, basically learning to live with, with the, the loss of his, his family, his parents, and everything that happened to him um, as a child to basically becoming adopted by um, the main character and then learning uh, martial arts and becoming a warrior and dealing with being, you know, that fish out of water story in the other world and that type of thing and, and basically being an alien um, there. Uh, to basically, you know, coming back to, to humanity and, and seeing uh, everything that's changed in the time that he's been away and kind of reintegrating into that reality again. So, it, it, again, it's very um, nuanced and all the characters have, like, real emotion and that type of thing and it deals with a lot of different uh, emotional pieces, basically. Uh, so I recommend it highly it's another you know really really great mm. animated movie so if you're into that kind of thing anime anime just his films in general um it's a great uh feature recommended awesome. 100 i don't know that guy's work at all so i'm glad for the uh for the 
the tip on that. It's fantastic. Yeah. All all the movies yeah, that I just, just mentioned. Check out his awesome. earlier stuff. Yeah, really good. That stuff you can find. I think yeah. a lot of it you can stream right now. Um, I I know that I think the the girl who left through time might be either on Hulu or mm -hmm. Netflix. I'm not mm -hmm. sure, um, but I know that you can find this stuff out there right nice. now. And I recommend all of it. Girl who left through time is his oldest one. That was like the one that that was his breakout mm -hmm. hit. Mm -hmm. um, and then Summer Wars. Uh, was was I think that was the second one, mm -hmm. but they're all and the Wolf Children is also really yeah. really good. Great titles. Yeah, I have to mention something. I was surprised to see uh, there's a new anime shop in Providence. What? Yeah, you um, you guys uh, remember Acme Video down on Brook Street, the one of the yeah. last holdout DVD rental places. I was walking by it and it is now Providence Anime. No, but I have no yeah, I have no idea what they're doing if they're renting stuff or screening stuff or Harris loves his anime. Well yeah. boys, yeah. <laughs> let's shut this down. We're going on a road trip. <laughs> We're gonna make that yeah, sure. so the former the former Acme uh, video on Brook Street in Providence is now Providence Anime. Providence Anime. Okay. Yeah, and they seem to have like a uh, some tables and uh, uh, a counter as if they serve refreshments and stuff too. So maybe they're going for like a cafe type effect. That's nice. awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Oh, we are Googling this. A, a tip for a tip. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's great. No, I'll definitely check that out. So are you a fan? I, I just, you know, I, I, I know very, very little anime, just the barest, you know, gotcha. like a handful of movies, but I, you mm. know, I like what I've seen, so. Yeah. It's just, once again, it's a matter of sheer time, like, yeah. you know, yeah. finding the time to watch everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's tough. Yeah. I get a lot of books sure. out there myself. Times yeah. it's like I don't know. I gotta yeah. finish everything, but there's so much I'm behind on. I'm behind on so oh, many yeah. series. Yeah. 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 Oh goodness! Well, we'll yeah, we'll definitely talk more about those for sure. That's great, Providence Anime. We'll uh, I write, write that down. They have a website. Oh, it's written down. They have a website and everything. So you know I'll be going there. Yeah. Oh, it's off of Wickenden Street. Nice. So. Yeah, yeah, almost where Brooke comes into Wickenden. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Love it. All right. Cool. I will definitely be checking that out and reporting back on the show about <laughs> the experience. That's awesome. But if you like animated movies, just check out his work. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever checked out the Studio Ghibli yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love those classics. titles. I mean, The Summer Wars, that's an intriguing title right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a cool yeah. one. I did hear time in there, and I do love my time travel. The girl <laughs> who, who left through time. time. Yeah. 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 It, she literally leaps through time. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> right up my alley. Carl uh, Bird, yourself, what have you been up to? Um, Other than watch stay in my house and watching Daredevil on weekends. Like I said, we'll wait. We'll wait until that next week. Um, this week, this um, week's episode of The Walking Dead was actually um, rather surprising. It set like as the show start, as the episode started, it kind of was. I no was spoilers, watching. Carl. I'm just saying, it's like I'm not gonna spoil shots. <laughs> it like started off from like, okay, this looks like it could be another filler episode, and then boom, like something happens, and it's not until towards the end, and you're like. You're just blank staring like, oh, okay, now I'm at the edge of my seat and all that, and then the episode's over. Did they introduce so, Negan yet? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> all right. Is the series following the uh, the comics? Is it... Uh... In, yes, and... but then there are some changes uh -huh. that's been made, so, so you know, comic book... So you can get surprised even if you read the comics. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So, yeah. So then, you know, some comic book readers... You, well, you know, spoil it for the non-readers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, speaking of time, that's one series that I fell behind on. I'm like three, I think now four episodes behind. Oh, there's only I gotta two more catch episodes up. left. So. Yeah, I gotta catch up. I know, I know. 
I get there, Carl. But their Daredevil comes first. <laughs> I did hear that they're becoming more aligned with the comics as the later seasons. As long as they don't kill Daryl, I'm in. Who's not in the comics, so no one knows. Right. Yeah. They better not kill Carl. <laughs> Wait, not Carl. What am I talking about? Glenn. Carl. Daryl. Daryl. Yes. I said Daryl originally, then I said Carl, then I said Daryl again. Shut up, Carl. So then, um, and then I've been keeping up. I read the la- the latest episode of uh, Drax, uh, which is written by uh, CM Punk. It's basically about Drax's quest to um, kill Thanos, who killed his family. So, but it has like a little comical twist to it. Like Drax seems more like a down to down to earth um, human. So they're rewriting his origin. I mean, I know he's Thanos, but that did they retell that story? Are they retelling it? It's not retelling it, but it's just kind of like just he. It's like a whole new story of him just on a quest. Gotcha. Okay, so it's just not like, it's not an origin. No. Yes, okay. okay. No, so that's already like the backstory is set. Thanos killed his family. Mm-hmm. He's vengeful. He's after to get. He's after again. You know, out to get him. Gotcha. And yeah, he goes through a couple of obstacles. He ends up getting like locked up in some in some prison, and um, now and now he has to fight in some in something like a little. Um, like gladiator competition with the other prisoners. Okay. So against this like big evil dra- this big evil dragon. So um, I still urge everybody to read it. It has like a little bit of a comical twist to it. So. Um, Are you just supporting it because CM Punk is a writer? That is my, that probably is the main reason why I'm. Okay. Why? Because I was hoping That's for cool. some. I was hoping it would be something. I'm like, okay, I read um, CM Punk written um the Thor annual yeah. story, and it was just it was like a joke. It was just. Uh, it was like a little cartoon. Oh, okay. And um, so I'm like, okay, let's give it a shot because he's doing a whole series. Possibly could be something, you know, a little more serious, a little more darker and all that. But it, it's somewhat darker, but it's just a joke. It's more of a joke. Gotcha. So, I like it. That's hard yeah. to just jump into writing a comic book yeah. when you're a wrestler. <laughs> so, <laughs> ups to him. Yeah. But then, like I said, and then haven't really been up to much. Just, you know, lots and lots. Daredevil. Yeah. Me too. I've literally done nothing else the last week. I took a sick day on Sunday and I just watched Daredevil all day and as I was getting towards the end of it, I was like, I can actually finish this. So I'm going to stay up a little bit later tonight and just get it done. Yeah, I got one more episode left. That's perfect. Nah, that's going really, that's, I'm really enjoying that season as well, but like I said, yeah. we'll definitely get more to that next yeah. week. They, they bring in the Punisher in the new season, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Is it, is it effective? I mean, without spoiling anything, I mean, it's a good presentation of the Punisher. Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. Yeah. He certainly yeah. punishes, that's for <laughs> sure. Definitely. Yeah, he does a really good job. All the issues is that he's just short. Yeah. And the Punisher I always knew was just... Yeah, it towers over everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I've, been, I've been saying that all week. <laughs> my, my I'm thought, at work, and I'm like, John Bernthal is so tiny. <laughs> I mean, my thought is... Maybe in people's minds, he's bigger than he really is. No, he's, he's pretty so, tall in the because comics. He's so, yeah. I'm just I'm telling myself. Oh. <laughs> so when they, then when they retell stories about him, like, oh, he was eight feet tall and weighed 300 pounds. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, you can argue that it's Punisher season one, you know, yeah. as much as it revolves around him and his story. But yeah, he definitely does a really good job. Um, yeah, he, and he punishes very well. And there's one extremely well. Yeah, there's one fight scene in particular where he, it's all, it's amazing. It was a really great work. I have a feeling of what it was, what it is, yeah. but we'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. I, I've been reading a bunch of um, back issues of uh, the What If series that mm-hmm. Marvel did. Oh, cool. yeah. 
And uh, there was one uh, where um, the Punisher's family did not get killed, mm -hmm. and he became a cop. Oh, <laughs> it was weird. Quite, yeah, it was quite weird and intriguing. It and uh, people from Punisher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he actually, he, Frank Castle became a cop in this alternate Marvel universe. It's kind of intriguing. Yeah. So he didn't punish anymore? <laughs> no, no. But what happened was the whole uh, police department was corrupt, and then he got he was like the only honest guy on the force, and he got disgusted, and he kind of turned into a vigilante at the oh. end. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, okay. But you, it always comes back around. Right, you you right. can only stop him for so long. That's cool. That's really <laughs> awesome. Uh, anything, anything else you've been reading and watching lately that comes to mind? Um, well, I try to balance my comics reading with, um, a, you know, the new stuff with, with the older stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so I'm reading a lot of the reprint books. I mean, to me, this is like the golden age for reprints of companies like Fantagraphics and IDW and, um, uh, uh, Dark Horse. They're just, you know, there are so many archive editions and reprint editions and stuff. So like I've been reading, uh... John Byrne's Fantastic Four, and uh, uh, what else? A bunch of non-superhero stuff, like mm -hmm. um, uh, Fantagraphics is reprinting uh, like Mickey Mouse Adventures, oh, you know, the classic wow. Mickey Mouse stuff from the 40s, where he's like, he's, he's, uh, he's almost like a superhero in a way, or he's definitely like an Indiana Jones type mm -hmm. character, where he's out, you know, in these, in these situations, uh, uh, having having different quests for treasure and stuff, so those those are kind of fascinating to see. Because you know everybody thinks Mickey Mouse he's, he's this kind of sometimes vapid comic character, mm -hmm. but he had this whole adventurous career or side to him that uh, that people kind of forget. So those those books from Fantagraphics are are great. I like them and. Um, uh, just watching, like, my my movie viewing um, kind of is all over the place. Like, the other night I watched uh, an old Bella Lugosi movie, The Corpse Vanishes, mm. where Bella was, uh, Bella is, uh, has a, a wife who um, has, suffers from this weird disease where, like, she ages, you know, at an incredible pace, and the only way he can revive her and, and turn her youthful again is with injection stole of the blood of young women so he's all, he's out like he's out like yeah it is he's out like stealing these young women and he brings them back to his his house and uh, he keeps them like in suspended animation and down in his basement he's got like the typical morgue setup with the drawers and he's got like he's got like drawers full of young women and every once in a while he taps them for like a new injection for his wife. It's just totally, you know, that crazy. Yeah, 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 just crazy. And, awesome. and these old yeah. And I mean these old movies, these from the you know, the pre CGI era, there's yeah. the special effects are primitive and and, and uh, uh, strange sometimes, but the nonetheless, you know, the they they convey this this a lot of the same, you know, chills and, and mm -hmm. weird, surreal things that you get in, in uh, modern films that might have better production value. Yeah, so probably even more yeah. so. Yeah, so I like, I love looking at the, and I mean, Bela Lugosi, he was, you know, we all know that um, uh, he was such a weird guy himself. He had, you know, drug problems and uh, uh, ended up kind of, you know, on the skids working for Ed Wood and yep. stuff. So he's just, you see him. You see him in some of these movies, and it's like beyond the characters depicting, like you're always thinking, you know, about his personal life and how is he even summoning up the wherewithal to act in these movies <laughs> with such a 
with his life in such a rough condition. So yeah, so I look at, I look at a lot. I try to, you know, fill in these bits of past movie history that somehow I've I've missed out on uh, yeah. over the years. Vic, is that part of the Criterion Collection? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. The whole ago, the corpse vanishes is not a Criterion Collection. But I just discovered that who and Vic, do you do you like the Criterion films? Do you? Oh, oh yes. yeah, okay. I hit I hit on a uh, a major mania. Hit. Yeah, I just discovered there's a whole boatload of them on Hulu. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So now now I got my new fix. You know, I can yeah. I can rummage through the Criterion stuff. Yep. Uh, a lot of anime on there too, right? <laughs> there yeah, they got there. Yeah. Actually, is yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You just made Victor Strike, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love there's it. actually somewhere somebody else there. Yeah, yeah. Other than yeah. Victor in this world. There's Strike one. Criteria. There's um, <laughs> the um, the head editor at Vertigo, DC's Vertigo line. Mm-hmm. His name is Jamie Rich, and uh, he uh, I think he likes uh, Criterion movies too because he reviews them frequently on his blog. It's oh, like cool. here's the latest Criterion oh, cool. selection oh. I looked at, and so yeah. Well, they have they have you know good taste. I mean they Absolutely. they dig up everything from you know exotic foreign films. So I noticed they have. Um, there was a pulp hero called Bulldog Drummond. He wasn't a superhero. He was just like a kind of, you know, private eye or not. He didn't do it professionally. He was just, he was one of these typical rich guy pulp heroes who like solve crimes and just as a hobby in his spare time. And I know, and but the movies are real pulpy. You know, they're not anything sophisticated or... or or deep or anything, but I noticed that Criterion is like reprinting these Bulldog Drummond movies. So they yeah. their their tastes are pretty uh, eclectic. Cool, that's awesome. Cool, I'll have to check out some of those Criterion mm. myself. Yeah, you should, man. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of great films in there. There's a lot of great films in there. I've seen quite a few. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of Kira Kurosawa's work is uh, Criterion stuff in those films. Yes, all yeah, very good. Absolutely. But, but, you know, I was talking before we began the podcast, I, I read a t- tremendous amount of uh, science fiction for my review work, so um, I've got, um, uh, I, I, I try to alternate between like old favorites, like if I pick up a new book by an old favorite writer, I know, you know, I can pretty much expect that I'm going to enjoy it, but I really try to search out uh, new writers too, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to keep abreast of what's happening and stuff. So um, there's this guy, um, he's a British writer, he's only had like two two or three books, Matthew Day Abitur, it's like his, his last name is A-B-I-T-U-A, Abitur, so something similar to that spelling, and his... his uh, Previous book was excellent, so he's got a new one out called The Destructives, which which sounds it's a it's like hardcore science fiction. So I've got that on my table waiting to be uh, read. So, but finding new people is is always exciting because you know as much as you like some of your old favorites, they can get predictable or even a little stale after a while. So, sure. who's uh, another new one just off the top of your head besides the one you just? Uh, well, there was this guy, he's not, uh, you know, it's funny, people people crop up so frequently that, like, if you've been around for five years, sometimes they say, you know, it's like your old hat, people mm-hmm. just, you know, you, you seem like part of the landscape, but there's this guy, he, um, uh, his name is Hanu Rajaniemi, and he's, I think, Finnish? or Icelandic or something. He's from one of the Scandinavian countries and he popped up about 
four or five years ago with just this amazing um, uh, the quantum thief was his first book I think and so he's yeah he's really amazing but you know what slays me he's he's English is his second language and he writes everything in English and it's like more beautiful English than than like you know all of us native speakers could accomplish and stuff so that that's kind of incredible that he can write in this in his second language so so great now the um so when you're reviewing the books is it is it just sci how does the sci-fi fantasy split is it sci-fi is fantasy and fantasy is not sci-fi yeah well it's funny if you look at the history of the of the genre um pre-tolkien you know tolkien is the great divide mm -hmm. he when he came along and and had such success he kind of um created or or people followed in his footsteps to create the whole fantasy genre as yeah. we know it. You know, George Martin and Wheel of Time and all, all that other stuff. <laughs> yeah, so, so, but prior to Tolkien, fantasy and science fiction were much more closely allied and they were kind of a, I don't know if you could say one was a subset of the other or if they were kind of like cousins, but they were published more or less under the same imprints like, mm -hmm. um, uh, um, I'm trying to think of some examples like Conan. Conan. When, yeah, when yeah, Conan yeah. came out, it was just considered part of like the the science fiction fantasy right. subgenre. They were they were allied, and the same people you know wrote when when uh, people started taking up the Conan books after uh, to extend them beyond Howard's legacy. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a lot of a lot of people from the science fiction field, like El Sprague right. de Camp and Lynn Cotter. They just started, they were part of the SF field, and people didn't re really make a huge um, uh, distinction uh, between them. But then once you know, once fantasy solidified into that kind of post-Tolkien, you know, giant trilogies and and elves and dragons and wizards and stuff, then. They started to deviate. Science fiction and fantasy seem to go uh, separate ways. So nowadays, it is kind of like a split landscape between yeah. those two those two genres. So so I try. I don't read. I mean, I mean the um, the fantasy series are so enormous that yeah. sometimes they're kind of forbidding to review. Like most, like there are science fiction series, but but there are a lot. There, are, I think there are more science fiction standalone books. So I tend to gravitate towards those yeah. just for ease yeah. of reviewing. I mean, like like getting up to speed on like the new Brandon Sanderson or whatever, and it's it's like 500 pages yes. and it's book number four yeah, in the, yeah, yeah. In the series. Really and stuff. right now. Yeah, is. yeah. Um, but I know he just started. He's got yeah, like he's got like three, two or three yeah. series going simultaneously, yeah. and I've liked cool. his stuff that I've read, yeah. but it's it's some sometimes uh, kind of intimidating. Yeah. And it's like uh, you said earlier too, with you reading the same author, right. bo ten books in, you're like, okay, I need a different right. flavor right now. I right. need to try someone different. Exactly, yeah. Like Maurice, I did yeah. Dresden, where I read fifteen yeah. in yes. a row. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. And then I did the uh, the other thing. The oh, Roman. Code of Solara. Yeah, then I read yeah. Code of I literally read 920? Is it wow. Code of Solara 5 or 4? it's 5, yeah. Yeah, so I read 20 books from the same Jim guy in a row. In a row. <laughs> and he actually has a new series out as well. The, yeah, yeah the, Steampunk, The Cinder Spires. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that uh -huh. book one of that is it just came out last year. Neat. We, we haven't Not checked track that out yet, down. but I yeah. got it and I've been meaning to. Now, can I just uh, interject here for one second? Sure, yeah, I found the Destructives. 
Yeah. It's on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, you can get the Kindle edition right now for about six, seven bucks. Yeah. But what struck me was uh, the product description for this. So yeah. I just I just want to yeah. give our, our listeners a little flavor here because <laughs> uh, it caught my eye. Yeah. <laughs> so right from the product description from Amazon, this is what it says. Theodore Drown is a destructive, a recovering addict to weird core. He's mm-hmm. keeping his head down, lecturing at the University of the Moon. <laughs> 20 years after the appearance of the first artificial intelligence and humanity is stuck. The AIs, or as they prefer to be called emergences, have left Earth and reside beyond the orbit of Mercury in a stapledon sphere known as the University of the Sun. <laughs> I'll just leave it right there. Yeah, that's his, me. Yeah, I, I knew his, first, his prior book. That sounds wild. His prior man. book, which I'm I'm blanking on the title, was excellent. It was very uh, uh, strange and weird. And I knew when I saw the destructives that I'd have to make that one of my review titles, just because you know uh, uh, his previous book was so interesting. The Red Men? Uh, that was his first book. I think that was a small press uh, release. And then there was one from the same publishers, The Destructives. And I, this when, when you read uh, so much, you tend to yeah. lose titles sometimes. <laughs> right, you know? and, and we all rely on the internet for our memory, our external memory these days. So mm-hmm. like, you, you don't have as much incentive to keep things in your head. So I'm blanking on his previous... If Then? Yes, that's the title, <laughs> If Then. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, uh, Thanks, Amazon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. So uh, tell us a little bit about your work. Yeah. Well, well, get started. well, we get it. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, I've been doing this. Uh, I really... Um, Got in. I really made a serious commitment to writing. Uh, it's almost 35 years ago, 1982. I was uh, working for Blue Cross Rhode Island. I was a computer programmer, busy wow. making busy making uh, Y2K bugs galore because nobody <laughs> knew about it back then. You know, oh, we only need we only need two spaces for the date field. You know, like 1980, 1982, whatever. It's not. It's never going to get up to four digits so uh, <laughs> or, or four different digits you know so anyway uh, I had wanted to write for a long time and I had, had a few small successes prior to that so I in in 1982 I just kind of said screw it I got it's now or never I gotta I gotta really devote myself to this so I, I quit my my what's probably the best paying job I'll ever have in my whole life I quit this programming job and, and I said, right. <laughs> and I said, I said, uh, uh, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try to train myself to be a good writer. And it took like a year or two of just not batting my head against the wall because I was improving. But I was sending out, I was writing stories, sending them out, getting constant rejections. Then after the end of like a year or two, I started to get some some acceptances, and and so like basically I've never looked back from that point. I've just um, uh, tried to you know improve myself as a writer and and work in whatever whatever area of fiction uh, that um, has interested me. I've written you know a lot of science fiction. Um, I brought along my fantasy novel tonight to show you guys. Uh, I've written a couple of. Uh, crime novels with a buddy of mine and uh, uh, so yeah so I've had I've written now it's kind of um, uh, it's kind of second nature to just this is my job this is my career path you know just to write 
whatever whatever uh, I think I can be good at. And the review work, which I really, I enjoy it. It's a little arduous at times, but I, I, it kind of keeps me abreast of uh, what's happening in the field. And whenever you read something good, it kind of goads you to like, hey, I got to match that or try to yeah. at least up my game a little to, to be as good as this, Does as that this guy. Give you ideas? Or yeah, whatever, yeah, this? absolutely. Because, um, you know, there's always science fiction is the so-called literature of ideas and you're you're always looking to see you know how people are uh, your peers are using these these kind of special tropes or ideas that exist in science fiction so yeah so the review work is very important uh, to me it's a uh, it's a little um, time-consuming and and you know every day that I devote to reviewing a book is one less day I can devote to fiction writing right. so that's a little frustrating at times too but um, uh, basically I'm just trying you know to be a working writer finding you know turning out uh, stories that somebody wants to buy I just wrote um, my first Sherlock Holmes story I uh, which is yeah which is I got invited this fellow I know is putting together a Sherlock Holmes anthology and so uh, he said, "Why don't you try it?" And I said, oh, "I don't know. I, you know, never tackled Sherlock Holmes before, but I did it, and he bought it, and so mm -hmm. I, I, you know, there's something new after That's thirty, amazing. after almost thirty-five cool. years in in the business. I'm still, you know, finding new uh, uh, areas that I can work in." So that's that's coming from that's an anthology that's coming from Titan Books, which is a uh, a UK publisher, but they distribute in America too. So I'm I'm looking forward to having that come out. And uh, comics, we've been talking about comics. I I um, have been reading comics literally since the day I could read, like first grade. You know, I picked up my first comic book. It was Mighty Mouse. Nice. It was, and and I I uh, I literally that was like the first comic I ever encountered. And I recently tracked down the, uh, like a uh, an issue of it, and it wasn't that expensive. It was like ten bucks or whatever on eBay. So now I have a copy of like the very first comic I ever remember <laughs> reading. Awesome. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of cool to to come across that. And um, so comics are a big thing with me, and I've scripted a few. I keep angling for more work, but it's um, in a lot of respects like the big two publishers are almost closed shop in shops in a way. You know, it's hard to get a foot in the door. But I keep I keep pitching to uh, Jamie Rich at Vertigo, and and he's kind enough to read my pitches, and we haven't quite synced up yet. You know, but at least he's he's looking at stuff that. Uh, uh, I send him, but what uh, on the comics front? What I'm excited about is I just had a Kickstarter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, we hit, we almost hit our uh, uh, our goal in something like you know 36 hours. So wow. I was really, yeah, I was really well. We kept it modest. We didn't go. Right. Yeah. Our goal was 2,500 bucks, and just to produce a single digital issue. Of, of this uh, what could potentially be a series and so I just finished writing the script for that last week and I uh, the artist um, is, is kind of stoked about it he thinks I did a good job and so and he's excited he said I never get to yeah, yeah he yeah, yeah he's this well this fellow my my um, uh, co-conspirator on this pr uh, project is a, a young guy named Orion Zengara, and you couldn't tell from uh, his last name, but he's uh, the grandson of Joe Kubert. 
So you've got the you've got the golden age, silver age, famous uh, artist Joe Kubert, who did so many. I mean, he was on Hawkman for a long time. He did uh, uh, he did all those war comics, those great Sergeant Rock and stuff. So Joe Kubert, legendary figure. He had two sons, uh, Andy and um, why am I blanking on his second son's name? But they both became comic book artists. And now Orion Sangara is. Um, he, he's descended from the, uh, I, I believe, Joe Kubert's daughter, so he doesn't have the Kubert last name. Mm. Uh, but, but now he's the third generation of comic book talent, you know, from this, cool. one, uh, this one set of great comic book genes that somehow Joe Kubert passed down. So I'm, I'm honored to work with him, and uh, he, he's a, a young guy, which kind of uh, uh, helps me uh, stay abreast of uh, different trends and things in the field. You know, he knows stuff that I don't know, and he's uh, mm. uh, kind enough to, uh, to think that uh, I'm still fun to work with. So, cool. so anyway, he's got the script now, and we're hoping, uh, uh, I, I think we're, there's no doubt that we'll uh, turn out a good, uh, a good product here. Uh, how did you get involved? He sent me, he totally sent me a fan letter. It was like, hey man, I've read your stuff and you know, I just want to say thanks and I like you as a writer. And so That's we cool. went back and forth. We've still never met face to face. And, uh, but I mean, but in this, you know, there are so many people in, in the field that, that I've still, to this day, we might have been corresponding for like 20 years and I, I've never actually had an occasion to meet them face to face. But, um, uh, Anyhow, he sent me a fan letter, and we started tossing ideas around, and that's how that's how it all started. That's great. Now, yeah. is the Kickstarter still collecting? Is that campaign still ongoing? No, no, no. Oh, we okay. closed. Yep, we closed, and we hit. We went over our goal yep. a bit, and uh, so uh, that allows us that extra money allows us to do some uh, some more color work because uh, originally we had just black and white in mind so right right uh, oh, yeah cool. yeah no, yeah that's great and then yeah i love, yeah, I love like, the art yeah, yeah, yeah he is great. he's yeah he's uh, he's just a very accomplished artist and he has a lot going on now i think he's doing something for image and uh, he um uh he illustrated a book of uh, prose uh, uh text by a friend of mine um uh, there, there's this uh, writer named uh, Michael Bishop. Uh, he's the guy that I wrote the crime novels with. We collaborate on those. And so Michael Bishop has a new YA book coming out and uh, Orion did like, like I don't know, maybe a dozen or 20 interior illustrations for oh, that. Cool. So, uh, but you know, the great thing about, about the creative field is I think um, uh, you get to, you, it, it spans the generations. Like I've met, you know, there are guys that I grew up reading that I'm now friends with, you know? So that's like oh, amazing wow. to me that's because cool. like, like I was a kid reading their books and now all of a sudden I get to hang with them at conventions and, and like that's so amazing. And then it works. Now, you know, here's, here's Orion reading my stuff and now we've got a bond. And so this, this, you know, this great, current of science fiction or fan fantasy or whatever you want to call it it like spans the generations and to me that's that's like so exciting just you know that it's like this this impulse that just never dies yeah. it just goes from one generation to another you know so now can i ask you um 
can you tell us a little bit about the blackmail? Why uh, you guys chose Kickstarter for the campaign? Kind yes. of how that whole well, process came we, about? Sure, of course. Well, we actually <clears throat> pitched it to a couple of places, and and they, um, uh, you know, they were they were polite, and and maybe you could even call it pleasant rejections, but mm -hmm. they nobody picked up on it, and so we said. Well, you know, we, we got to try to launch this ourselves, but we didn't. So I had the script ready for issue one, which is, you know, like in the contemporary continuity of this universe. And, and it, it follows the adventures of this protagonist. But we said, you know, if we if we launch with with issue one, that's kind of frustrating because then we got to keep running another Kickstarter, another Kickstarter and, and to produce every subsequent issue. So we went with a kind of an issue zero prequel concept where like this this issue establishes how this universe came to be yeah, and I it doesn't appreciate issue zero. Yeah, <laughs> and it doesn't even it doesn't even feature the actual protagonist that we yep. have in mind because it's like centuries before he ever yeah. lived. So so um, we think it's a pretty good solution yeah. or a pretty good compromise is that like maybe you can hook people on the idea of this series um, uh, and then, and, and then if we get you know some support and acclaim, who knows? Maybe one of the regular publishers will pick it up, or yeah. or we could go back. You know, we could run another Kickstarter, do issue one, and keep on going like that. Yeah. So, uh, but the world is a, it's a science fictional comic, which uh, I think they're um, uh, they're really if if you look at the history of science fiction comics, they're in a minority. I mean, you know, there's a lot of uh, obviously, superheroes are the main uh, right. uh, the main genre, and then there's there's uh, various fantasy comics like Sandman and stuff. But in terms of science fictional comics, they they are kind of underrepresented, I think. So yeah. it's always um, uh, appealed to me to try to get um, uh, a science fiction comic uh, up and running. What was the one you were reading, Carl? Steam Man. Steam Man. Steam Man? I don't know that one. That's good, Carl. Yeah. Enjoy that. Good. Yeah. Very graphic, but it's very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, we Stand on Guard, I would say, is probably in that same uh -huh. subset. Uh -huh. I don't know if yeah. you read that. Yeah. And That's obviously, cool. Saga has been such That's a hit. Saga. Yeah. 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 That, that, occurred, that would be. Yeah. Saga has yep. been such a hit and shown that there is a market for um, uh, science fictional comics. Uh, thank you. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, so Dark Horse does this. Yes. Uh, Steam Man. Oh, it's written by Joe Lansdale. <laughs> yeah. I love Joe Lansdale's fiction, so i got to check this out. Yeah. Yeah, Carl's a big fan. I keep meaning to get around yeah. to reading it, and yeah. I haven't had the pleasure yet, but yeah. it seems yeah. really cool. Yeah, not to now, Joe Lansdale has a TV show, too, uh, out now. So oh, he's really? kind of, yeah, it's uh, Hap and Leonard. It's like a crime drama. It just debuted. Like I don't know if it's ongoing or a miniseries or whatever. But yeah, he's a long-term. Now, he's somebody that, that um, uh, I've never met. We've never actually corresponded, but, but he, he feels kind of like family because, you know, there's like six degrees of separation between us. I yeah. could probably, you know, uh, be on the phone with him tomorrow if I needed to for any reason. <laughs> That's cool. Now, can I ask you a uh, last question for yeah, me? Yeah, of course. Um, since the kick, obviously the Kickstarter was a success, it's now complete. Yep. Um, for those of us that did not know about it previously, are you going to distribute it um, after, after I launch believe, to those yeah, that, that I, weren't um, able to contribute? Uh, and this is, this is uh, um, 
Another thing that I'm so grateful to Orion for, he's handling uh, all the technicalities of, you know, different file formats and stuff. But I believe he has a plan. Yeah, you're going to be able to, uh, people who were not part of the Kickstarter can buy oh, Issue cool. Zero. Yeah. It'll okay. be just, I'm not sure what platform he's going to distribute it on, Amazon or or uh, Comicology or whatever, you know. Oh, yeah, like yeah. so, but yeah, so you Keep should be able to. Keep us informed on that, because I'd right. love to see it. I would have contributed right. thanks. it. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. But yeah, you should be able to get a okay. hold of Issue okay. Zero. Yep. Yeah, that was cool. Right. Uh, the question I have is, yep. um, since me being a big Marvel head, how did that how did that relationship like come about with you writing like the Marvel romance, uh, yep. Redux and uh, Doc and Simpson? I did. Um, Career okay. Website. Yeah. No. I um. Let me try to reconstruct how that happened. Well, my editor for all of that was, uh, uh, he's still there, Mark Panicia. He does. Um, I think he's in charge of the X Men titles and uh, a bunch of titles. So he's still a current editor at Marvel. And I think if I, I think I just went in cold and visited him, because really? that, yeah, because I mean, you know, there's um. Uh, you know, so much of the uh, professional contact is over the internet these days, but I, there's really no substitute for uh, a lot of times for a face-to-face -face yeah, interaction right, right. at conventions or whatever. And, and I have followed that ever since um, uh, the beginning days of, of my career because I... Um, uh, I don't know if you guys remember Omni magazine. It was a, a very popular magazine uh, back in the 80s, but it helped uh, create the birth of cyberpunk because a lot of like William Gibson's early stories appeared in Omni magazine. So, so when that, so I started, you know, getting serious about this in 82, and in 1985, when cyberpunk uh, uh, kind of broke wide open. Uh, I went into, I knew that like this woman, Ellen Datlow, the editor at Omni Magazine, I knew she was buying stories. I went into New York, like just, you know, Joe Nobody, and but but I had sold a couple of stories by then. So she she agreed to see me and we, you know, here it is 30 years later, She's she's bought, you know, several of my things, but it all dates back to like going in and saying hello, just meeting and greeting, you know, as if you were trying to sell you know, widgets or whatever, to, if that was your job. And so, so I, I seem to recall that I went into Marvel and met with Mark uh, Panicia, and, uh, and out of that came, you know, this assignment to do the Doc Samson and uh, a Marvel romance story. Um, and, you know, why, how come that didn't lead to, like, uh, an ongoing thing? I can't say. I think I did a good job, but I think that... You know, not to, because they obviously know what their business model is, and I think um, they they are looking, you know, for like, okay, this guy did not create a bestseller with Doc Samson or whatever. He did a he did a decent job, but we need. They're always looking for the next big thing, so they're yeah. gonna like rotate through a lot of writers, right. trying mm -hmm. to see who's gonna be like the next Kirkman mm -hmm. or the next. Uh, uh, Bendish, you know, so I think I, I, I tend to think that's what it is because and you know, it's a certain This is true in the book business too, you know in the old the old business model for books were Okay, if we think you're a decent writer, we'll take you on and we'll like nurture you You might not have an instant bestseller But we'll like nurture you through five six books or whatever until you really click and, and get an audience but that, that kind of business model has gone out the window and it's like, okay, 
give us a book and it's not a bestseller, you're out the Everyone door. You know, certain. yeah, you know, yeah. you're Instant out the door. Instant gratification society. Yeah. And, and so, so it's kind of, the, a lot of people are complaining that, you know, careers are not cultivated or nurtured the way they once were. And um, so, you know, but what can you do? I mean, these publishers have to stay afloat. This is a business model that they've developed. And um, I mean, the flip side of that is you also got a lot more, you know, avenues now to get your work mm. directly to people like what you did with Kickstarter. Right. You know, nobody wanted to pick up the story, right. so you did it on your own. Right. And obviously people want it. Yeah. It was a successful yes. Kickstarter. So, yeah. you know, clearly like you, you balance that, you know, with right. the fact that they're not picking up those careers, but you, you have a way to reach right. your audience at the at least least that you didn't you yeah. know millions of people that sure. you couldn't ever get to sure you know in years past so it's, it's an interesting dichotomy yeah That's yeah it is I mean there you know and it's a different world today it's right. a different landscape you know you're you're contending uh, books and comics are contending with a hundred other uh, yeah. sources of entertainment movies and yep. video games and uh, yeah. Podcasts. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm always like, do I want to sit down and read yeah. that new comic I just picked yeah. up? Yeah, Daredevil's out. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna go watch that. Well, Rob, you know the famous the famous writer Robert Heinlein. He even uh, long ago in the pre-internet age, uh, he had a saying that's become kind of famous. He said, "Every book is competing for beer money." <laughs> like, do I buy a six oh, yeah. pack or do I buy a book? Yeah. You know, so and so it's always been that way. That so you're always you're always uh, contending yeah, sure. against other avenues of entertainment. Yep. Uh, so you just have to hope to to do. You know, I kind of when I was starting out writing, like Ray Bradbury was a real hero because mm -hmm. I had been reading his stuff forever, and I, and then when I read his, um, he has several essays about the art of writing and what his aesthetic philosophy is and how he taught himself to be a writer and so I kind of glommed onto that and found it really inspirational but but his thing is you cannot go into a creative career thinking I'm going to be rich or I'm going to be a bestseller he said all you can do is like give it your best shot present your material your unique vision in the best way you know how and then sit back and you know Wait, wait for people to appreciate what you've done, and you know you can't you can't really go into it with a set of expectations. So, yeah. Uh, Vic, I saw you had a question earlier. Yeah, I wanted to uh, go back to your comic, The Black Mill. Uh -huh. It sounds like it has a really interesting premise. And uh, for our listeners, uh, yeah. what is The Black Mill about, and sure. what are what are its main inspirations? Sure. Well, I uh, wrote a story um, some years ago called simply The Mill. And it was kind of a prototype, although I didn't know it at the time, of course. And it was just, um, uh, well, I've always been fascinated by huge structures or huge architecture. And the, the prime example of that in uh, fiction is the Gormenghast books by Mervyn Peake. And Gormenghast is this enormous castle. Nobody knows how big it is. It just... Uh, it just sprawls like over acres or miles or whatever and and there's nobody who like even knows every facet of it so so um uh that kind of uh, uh uh setting always intrigued me and there are actually there are um uh some actual real world analogs there were certain factories in china i think they've downsized them but there were these enormous factories that 
they employed literally a hundred thousand people. So they were like factories the size of a small city or a, or a medium-sized city. Yeah. And um, so, so that kind of enormous structure where it was like a world within a set of four walls um, has always intrigued me. So I tried to think, um, and, and my story of the mill is a small version of that, like the building is not really super huge, but it's kind of big. And um, so, so that kind of structural setting has always intrigued me because you have like these adventures or a setting for adventure, but it's within a, it, it's not the natural world or space or whatever, it's kind of an artificial environment. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can see, uh, I'm trying to think of some other examples beyond Gorman Gas. I think a more contemporary one, like yep. everything you just said reminded me um, of uh, Attack on Titan. I don't yeah, know if you've heard of that, but it's very much yeah. in that same it, vein, yeah, yeah where yeah. it's a world where it takes place in like a faux um, medieval type uh -huh. of world where, you know, technology is not advanced or anything yeah. like that. And it feels like it's sort of stopped uh -huh. because of like a, a cataclysmic event um, yep. that brought about um, the evolution of, of what you know the show calls titans which are mm -hmm. basically giant people mm -hmm. um, who are brainless um, and they basically roam the land and if they see humans they eat them mm -hmm. so they literally eat you so mm -hmm. what humanity has done in a losing fight um, since they can no longer contain or fight these creatures is they built a city within yeah. a wall and yeah. what they did is they added um, separate walls um, sectioning off uh, portions of the city so you have uh -huh. an outer wall an inner wall and then a you know a deep inner wall and nice. it, what it what it did is sort of create a caste kind of uh -huh. society so each uh, you know wall represents oh, like a different yeah. section of everything it's, it's an anime nice. uh, show it's season one yeah. is out now i think season two is yeah. in production or will be pretty yeah. soon um so it, it's very much that kind yeah. of idea where the world is now just this one place right. and that's it right if you go outside of that you're putting your life in, in peril basically right. Right. And it's really cool. It's a really, really popular work now, but it sounds a lot like... Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this sure. is right up my alley. I'm, I'm oh, looking great. forward to actually good, reading good. it. Well, uh, the, so, in, um, so having conceived of this environment, I tried to think, well, what kind of quest or adventures could you have in it? What's the reason for this structure existing and so on? So all of that kind of fed into the Black Mill. Now, unfortunately, in issue zero... It, it's the black mill is not yet built, you know, so so it, it might be uh, hopefully it's not going to be disappointing, but at least you're seeing the rudiments of how it how this structure will arise yeah. mm -hmm. in the future. And, and then hopefully if we get to issue one, it'll make more sense because people will have seen the prequel uh, to yeah, it. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, that's yeah. Why I appreciate issue zero. Right. So where did this right, come, you know, right. come from? Yeah. But but um, there are uh, 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 there's. Um, uh, just that notion, uh, and uh, you know what else it ties into is the great science fiction notion of the generation ship, where they you build this huge spaceship and it only travels slower than light. So it's actually like a mini world, and people, you know, generations come and go on the spaceship while it's on its journey. Mm -hmm. And so, and usually the theme of the generation ship is like they forget like where they're going or that they're even in a ship or whatever and so it becomes like the whole world to them so that kind of generation ship story has always intrigued me um, uh, yeah and and um there's another novel there's a novel by um 
this British writer Christopher Priest called The Inverted World, all about like this moving city that has to keep moving just to survive because like the world that it's on is very hazardous and uh, uh, that that was another kind of early influence uh, uh, on this like concept. That. Recently there was, um, uh, what was the, the movie uh, Captain America's in with the train? Oh, Snowpiercer, Snow Snow right, Very yes, that's the same, same right, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen that yet, but I understand, Very good. yeah, that's, so, so this notion, uh, because we all, you know, we all kind of live in our limited head spaces or whatever, so the, this is kind of like a crystallization of that metaphor, that like, here's this world, it's the only thing the characters know, like, can they break out of it, or yeah. how does it It's funny, like, every, all the tropes yeah. you're mentioning, I keep thinking of something that's like, that I recently just watched that has yeah. that trope in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the generation ship Knights of Sidonia, on, yeah. that's on Netflix, that's another, uh -huh. I made that exact concept. Yeah, yeah the mean, that, that, that yeah. stuff kind of carries yeah. over through through the generations yeah. and everything. Yeah. The, yeah, the gen that whole generation ship idea, I'm not sure who invented it. Robert Heinlein had an early example of it, and he kind of made it popular. And then um, the author Gene Wolfe, a very excellent science fiction writer, he, he played with it uh, in a recent, I think it was a four-book series that uh, set on a generation ship. Yeah, that's but, cool uh, that always intrigues me, yeah. that kind of environment. But the reason I used the word mill instead of calling it something else was that um, uh, my family has a, a big history with working in textile mills. Like, textile mills were so crucial to New England yeah. history. And uh, my dad worked in one all his life. You know, he started, like, the most menial job, and then he ended up in management after, like, 40 years. But he spent his whole working life in a textile mill. And I used to work in them during, uh, like, uh, summers, you know, to put myself through school. And and so the whole notion of a mill where something is created and it's big and noisy and machinery and stuff, that that's, like, kind of seminal to this whole concept. That sounds cool. I can't wait to check that out. And, yeah. and is it inspired by a lot of steampunk uh, fiction? Yeah, there is, because I, um, uh, you know, I've been into steampunk since it was invented, and so, uh, it, yeah, the technology, it's not high-tech. It's very gears and, mm -hmm. you know, pulleys and steam power, and yeah, so there, there's uh, that aspect to it. Nice. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that aesthetic myself. Yeah. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. Yeah, well, like every everything yeah. about this is kind of oh well. Thanks, to, thanks so to, much to the things I like. So well, steampunk. It's funny, you know. Steampunk began as a literary format, but now literature is like the tail on the dog. You know, the <laughs> steampunk is everything but literature to most people. I mean, it's fashion and yeah, music yeah, yeah. and yep. costumes and uh, yeah, a lot of uh, cosplay. Yeah, <laughs> and. and uh, you know, gadgets, like weird, you know, created models of strange gadgets Yeah, and I stuff. think a lot of people take it more as an aesthetic than a genre right, um, right. these days. I know that, um, it's that um, PlayStation 4 game that I was playing recently. Oh, The Order? The Order is very steampunky. Right. Yeah. That, that's yeah. set in, like, Victorian era. Like, it's very much an aesthetic in a, in a time period sure. thing. Um, for, from what I've seen, a lot of steampunk stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, The Order's pretty cool. That, that's uh -huh. like a steampunk type, uh, yeah. type of environment. Well, it's funny, steampunk, the word, uh, began as an insult or a joke. Really? Uh, yeah, you can, it's very well documented. Um, there, okay, so cyberpunk was, was getting, you know, big and a lot of publicity in, back in the 80s. 
And this fellow named, uh, a writer named K.W. Jeter, uh, wrote a letter to a, to a science fiction magazine. He said, he said, cyberpunk, what's that all about? He said, why, why don't we have something called steampunk, you know? And he was making a joke. It was like, yeah. And, <laughs> and then, all, yeah, and the joke yeah. became reality, you know? Yeah, so, that's uh, hilarious. Yeah, so he's the coin. So some people think, my book, the Steampunk Trilogy, is the first book to you have the word steampunk in its title and so some people um think they say oh you coined that word and i always hasten to disabuse them i say no no it's uh this fellow kw jeter and it's very yeah it's very well recorded you can like see it uh, i would take credit copy. for that in a heartbeat yeah <laughs> it, yeah it comes back to you though people yeah, say yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. he's like he's like trying to aggrandize himself can you tell us a little about the, the you brought us a gift today? I uh, did. Part, part yeah. Symphony. Can you tell us yeah. about that? Well, you know, I try to um, not repeat myself in my mm -hmm. writing. I mean, I uh, so I'm always looking for new uh, territory. So this is a fantasy novel. It's right. set in this quasi medieval world, and uh, it has supernatural elements to it. But not. I tried to avoid dragons and elves and wizards and stuff as being somewhat hackneyed and so um, mm. Queen Mab you know from from British uh, legend uh, appears she's like a central character and uh, it's uh, a lot of humor in it but it has I think it has kind of a uh, not somber but serious side to it as well in terms of the arc of the character because he goes from like very naive to seeing things that kind of disillusion him so yep. it's kind of a, a journey that maybe you know is uh means something to to almost anyone because we all start out as like naive kids right and right right experience the rough and tumble yep. of life and stuff so uh, but anyway it's i conceived of it when i was still a teenager i had like the basic plot in my head but I didn't have the chops to deal with it, you know, until until many years later. So it so it's kind of a mixed bag because I think my my teenage self had a pretty good conception and I, I tried to carry it out in a mature fashion and stuff. But it has kind of to me it maybe nobody else would see it, but to me it represents kind of a youthful attitude or 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 concept of what a fantasy novel should be. I like it, yeah. Right up my alley, I love fantasy. Oh, well, thanks, yeah. yeah. And and like I say, it's got some humor in it. It's got some some weird supernatural uh, mm -hmm. creatures as opposed to your more common uh, uh, dragons and elves and stuff. Yeah, and some, so, of, nice. and, like yeah, some yeah. of those fantasy out there right now, like King Killer Chronicles, or uh -huh. uh, Ice and Fire, now they yeah. recently started adding the dragons. But yeah. a lot of it was just not... You know, or dwarves, right. elves, right. everything. You know, it's a medieval setting. Yeah, which I like a lot. a lot of human drama. Well, Game of Thrones is a lot of political right. drama. Yeah. Type yeah. Of Are you a Game of Thrones fan? Uh, you know, I've read I've read all the books and I've never watched the TV <laughs> show. Just just because I felt you know I liked the books and I, I enjoyed them and and it was a matter of time and like what do I well I kind of know this story do I need to see yeah. it dramatized and yeah. now, let me ask you this question yeah. as an author. Yeah. I, I'm just curious. As an author, so George R. R. Martin, you know, the the show is essentially past the books right, now. Right, right. Now, yeah. speaking as someone from, that's been on that side of the table, yeah. how how do you feel about that? Like, how do you, do you stand with George Martin that, you know, take all the time you need? Yeah. Or is it kind of crazy that he has a show yeah. catching up to him? How do you feel about that? Well, he... Um, I think what you could say is maybe he... 
did not plan. <laughs> he did not plan things out. Yeah, as we know he didn't plan. <laughs> as he might have. I mean, he, you know, he's admitted it himself. Sure, he said, sure. he said there were a lot of distractions along the way, and mm. I, you know, I let myself get detoured, and I could have maybe, you know, kept up with the pace a little better. But on the other hand. Um, you know, he, he made this bargain with Hollywood. He, he yeah. got rich and famous off this, this deal. Mm -hmm. And so he does have a certain responsibility to the audience, you know, that, that he might have defaulted on. So, so you know, I can, but on the other hand, you know, the work comes at the speed it comes. Yeah. Like, it, it, if he's not, you don't want him turning out inferior product just to, right. just to meet some kind of arbitrary deadline. But on the other hand, you know, he he definitely did not plan plan this out yeah. as well as. Because uh, I don't want to be the type of the person. Right. I mean, I do it anyway. I don't know, but I hate. I, it's he hates like, it. Yeah, it says. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I knew you before you were the big Hollywood right. guy. You know, he's right to do whatever he wants with his story. Right. Um, I don't want it spoiled from a TV show. Right. But I've never been an author with deadlines. And right. This and that, so I know it's it's tough. Deadline yeah. spur action, man. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have any. I think that's part of the problem myself. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, because I mean the publisher is not going to get on his case right. because he's a cash cow, yeah. and mm -hmm. and then you know whenever it comes, it they know that it's going to sell in mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of copies and stuff. So can you think of any author that's been passed by their Different medium of their series because it happens in anime and manga. Um, yeah. I, can't, I can't think of a book where it's happened before. It's like it's no, because like usually, yeah, because you like. Well, for instance, the Expanse that that's I've SF that show. Yeah, yeah, well, the books are excellent. The books are excellent. Know, really. The Expanse. Yeah, James yeah, S. A. Corey, who's really who's really two guys. Um, yeah, that's a pen name, James S. A. Corey. It's really oh. Daniel Abraham, and I forget. His co-author is less well-known, so his name kind of always escapes me. <laughs> but that series is ongoing. But he's but see, they didn't launch that. There's like there's like I think five or six enormous books mm -hmm. already in the pipeline, and and they seem to be sticking to a more rigid schedule. So yeah. I don't think they're going to get superseded by yep. by their TV show. Yeah. Um, but but it's kind of new territory because yeah. I mean this uh, usually. When they take a written property and turn it into uh, uh, a dramatic thing, it's usually always been like a movie. Like you yeah. have the book of Othesy Clocks 2001, they turn it into a standalone movie. Or, or, um, uh, or, or else they take a series that's long completed, like Lord yep. of the Rings. And so, right. you know, there's no way that, that, you know, that's not an ongoing thing. So I think George Martin, you got to give him credit, it's kind of new... He, he dove into unexplored territory, like, let's dramatize yeah. this thing that's not even finished no, yet. Yeah, yeah. So, so in a way, you have to give him credit for the chutzpah that he, and the yeah. courage to kind of do it. You know, the only, um, the only thing that um, it, it kind of resembles is back in the Victorian age, where, like, Charles Dickens was churning out his novels as serials. Mm -hmm. 
there were actually a few instances where where like the magazine was ready to go to press and he hadn't finished that installment yet. Okay. And so so you could probably say that Martin was kind of echoing these yeah. Victorian predecessors where where they would serialize stuff and they really had to be on the dime, you know, to turn in the new chapter yeah. before the magazine went to press. And it would have probably happened if you really think about it, if uh stuff the the projects that had tried to kick off long ago for the dark tower maybe succeeded because stephen king took forever right to right now so that's, maybe that yeah, would have been yeah, you know yeah. something that it would have happened to if they ever got off the ground with any right. multimedia project it's definitely brought fantasy in sci-fi to an extent to like the forefront mainstream yes. which i appreciate i just yeah. love the story so much it's just it, yeah it's read, i read it like 10 sure. years ago or so yeah. so yeah it's very frustrating yeah. and i just love it and i want to support it I don't watch the show anymore right. myself. Right. Doesn't say I don't want to spoil anything. I know it's going to happen anyway, but it's yeah, it's tough. But I just wanted to get an author. Is, yeah, is it a spoiler if the author sanctioned it? Yeah, I don't yeah. know, man. Yeah. I don't think it is. But now, now on the other hand, I mentioned uh, two thousand and one, and that was what we might have with Game of Thrones is. Uh, Something that was very similar with Clark and Kubrick, they more or less developed their two properties simultaneously. Yeah. Like the book, the book and the movie were almost created simultaneously with a lot of feedback between them. So who, yeah, so who knows? Maybe that'll happen with better, uh, George yeah. Martin. That like the show will feed back into the book instead of being a one-way yeah. book into the into uh, the show. It's so. already kind of happened. Yeah. Actually, I know recently he said that he's decided to write something into the books that he wasn't yeah. going to. That's like. Yeah. A big Big, uh, not a, a big reveal or a big surprise in the books that yeah. the show can't do because it involves character that were killed off in the show. I don't know. I, I don't so know he's already doing that. Yeah, like it, it already feels like yeah. the show has already in, right. influenced the the books just from that revelation alone. Yeah. 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 Now there was a little bit of this in uh, comics when. Um, uh, Batman and Superman first started to be dramatized, like on radio shows and stuff. There was a lot of two-way feedback between the comics and the uh, dramatic presentations. Like, did you ever know how uh, Alfred was fat? No. Yeah. Wow, really? When yeah, Alfred. When Alfred first appeared in comics, he was this big, heavy set like Orson Welles type butler. And then, then the movie serials of Batman came out, and Alfred was skinny, and so he that fed back into the comics, and they turned. All of a sudden, one issue came out, and he's not fat anymore. He's like, and I don't know if they even explained yeah. it in the so comic. So it's kind of like Alfred. Like, like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he did P ninety X between yeah. issues. Right. Yeah. So. So, so that was an early example. I mean, where the where the Hollywood product fed back into the comics instead yeah. of vice versa. And I think uh, I think there were some aspects of Superman's mythology that were invented uh, only in the like the radio show, and then later fed back into the comics. Yeah. But I Nick can't. Fury. Yeah, that's yeah. sort of. Well, yeah. I mean, Ultimate. It was the, it was still in comics, but Ultimate happened. That changed Nick Fury. Right. The movies picked up right. that Nick Fury. Then now he's the. Nick Fury in the Junior. regular universe? Right, right. Yeah, that, that whole Junior, thing happened. Yeah. 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 It's just because I, I heard happened. that there, there's more reports that Warner Brothers is the movie, like they're trying to align the comics with the movies to yeah. get people more familiar, which I get, you know, the movies are going to make a lot more money, I'm sure. 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 Um, so yeah, but I read, I read a couple of blogs of comics uh, retailers. There's mm -hmm. a couple of great blogs of uh, guys who run... Uh, uh, comic stores and so they're always talking about the retail experience and and 
One of them claims that movies have like almost zero effect on sales of actual comics. Really? That like, yeah, that he he says he says movies, the audience for movies, very few of them, a tiny fraction, gravitate towards the comics. They just yeah. satisfied with the movies. Yeah, yeah. I can't so, believe that actually. Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, he, some uh, sense. yeah. I know fr- like friends that just go they go to the movies, but it's right. not going to say, oh, I'm going to go read right. Captain America now. Right, yeah. right. Unless so, it's maybe like a, I feel like uh, people like us who already like we started with comics, right? And we're you know we have that need to go back and say, oh, I want to look at the history of that character, right? And go and read up on it. But you know, it doesn't. I could see it totally not going the other sure. way around, where your exposure sure. to that character is the movies, yeah. And you're fine with that right. universe because right. a lot of times it doesn't tie back into right. the comics, right? Yeah. Oh, well. and, now, no. which oh, wait. Go big, go big, go big. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, speaking of like people like George R. R. Martin, you know, having their works adapted onto the screen. Like, have you ever thought of writing a screenplay or translating one of your works to the big screen? Yeah, you know, I'd love that. I mean, I um, and and I'd be happy even if you know they they tinkered with it and and altered it because um, there's a, a famous uh, quote somebody said uh, uh, to this author, they said, oh, Hollywood destroyed your work. And he said, they didn't destroy it. It's right there on the shelf over there. You just take it down and read it, you know? So so I don't mind whatever Hollywood has to do to a property to get it to be more audience friendly. But my only um, script writing experience uh, kind of led nowhere, but it was interesting. Uh, there's a producer named Tom Engelman, and his most famous uh, property is... Um, well, he worked on The Last Samurai with uh, Tom, Tom Cruise, Cruise yeah. Good but he worked on, um, what's that Vin Diesel uh, uh, franchise? Is Pitch, Pitch Black? Pitch Black. Yeah, 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 he worked Tom, yeah. Yep. so Tom Engelman worked on this uh, franchise, and he um, contacted me, and he said, I've read some of your stories, let's try to, just on spec, there's no, you know, I'm just an independent producer, let's try to turn it into um, a script. So... Uh, we took one of my, or several of my stories, and we kind of melded them together, and I spent like a year writing this script, and it was fascinating because he like, and you know, with constant feedback from him, because like I have a certain idea of how, you know, a novel is structured or whatever, but that's totally different from what Hollywood wants, yeah, right. like with the plot points and, you know, the uh, different arc of yeah. action stuff. So anyway, I got kind of a first-hand education in writing this script, and and our script uh, was called The Bad Splice, which was the name of one of uh, my stories, and it was set in this bioengineered future. And so we just finished the script, we got it to a point where we liked it, and then a movie opened called The Splice, <laughs> and and it was and it was similar. It was like a bioengineered future, and that that killed it. He said Engelman said, "There's no way I can sell this now. We've got to wait a while." And that was years ago, and I think the time is coming gone. But it was it was a good education in in writing a script, and I think you know if anybody ever approached me, I could I could do one now with that uh, with that. Experience at hand. Which one of your titles would you like to see on a big screen? Well, um, uh, I think this. Um, so the the script we worked on was from my Ribofunk stories, which are like all about this future where there there are all these uh, half human, half animal hybrids, and and everything is kind of 
you know, genetic engineering is at the core of this future technology. So I still think that would make a pretty good uh, movie, that set of stories, because it hasn't, um, uh, there hasn't been, see, one of my things about science fiction is like, okay, well, like take Star Trek, like classic Star Trek, it's whatever, you know, thousands of years into the future, and there's like the human uh, physiology and everything is exactly the same. There's no, like, you know, if you saw Kirk in the street, you wouldn't look yeah, twice at him because he's just a regular human, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think that the way things are going, um, uh, that that the human genome and the human uh, appearance is... is uh, bound to change radically and so that's never been I don't think portrayed very yeah. effectively on the screen so I'd like to I'd like to get that yeah. up there that's awesome that's cool yeah, yeah. that sounds cool so what would you say you like writing better novels or comics uh well you know short stories are like my favorite thing to write because the it, it's you get in and out real fast like you can yeah. you can Put a ton of ideas into them and some good characters, and and but they don't take forever to write. The novel is like writing, uh, running a marathon. You know, it just it, it it seems to suck up your whole life and go on forever. But you know, you get something pretty substantial at the end. So, and and the script, like I did the script for this issue zero, it took a week, which is not bad. I think that's that's kind of like yeah. writing a short story. So I I kind of favor the short form just because like instant gratification, you know, yeah. it's like it's like yeah. near term gratification. Uh, but it, having said that, I'm embarked on a novel right now, but it's a crime novel because I yeah I I did those um, two previous crime novels with my friend Michael Bishop, and I've always liked reading them, so I figured I'd give yeah. another a stab at. Uh, no, no pun intended. Another stab at mm -hmm. <laughs> Is it hard for you to um, kind of weave between genres because you seem to have a very diverse? Yeah, I like no. I I gotta keep myself interested. Like I I don't want to stick to just one thing because I I think I'd get bored with it. Sure. So yeah, so. Uh, speaking of the short story, the the Sherlock Holmes. My last question. Yeah. Uh, is it set if you know before or after the final problem? Um, well, here's the thing. This anthology has a very um, interesting premise. You had to tell the story without Holmes or Watson being center stage. Like they were, they were, um, uh, so they do come on stage, uh, both of them. But, but the narrator, the point of view had to be like one of the... Uh, uh, subsidiary characters from uh, the yeah. Holmes mythos and stuff, okay. but but it's set before the final okay. problem. Yeah. yeah, so it's uh, yeah it's set early on in Holmes's career. I forget. I I brought up a chronology yep. of his uh, his adventures and and um, I don't remember the exact date, but it's set like you know a couple of years after he, his first story. I like it. That's that's great. I like that's yeah. a nice little change of pace too. Yeah, exactly because I, there have been so many Holmes right. uh, stories that uh, yeah. uh, twisting it around a little from another viewpoint made yeah. it interesting. Absolutely. All right, my last question yeah. is uh, doubling back to your review work um, for our audience. Uh, who are your favorite contemporary uh, writers that, that you would just recommend? Um, 
catching up on the world. Oh, besides, well, besides you, you know, I, I love Neil Stevenson. I think you can't go wrong with Neil Stevenson. He's just amazing. And he's somebody who doesn't... Well, he did have a series. He had a three-book series. But aside from that series, he doesn't really repeat himself. He's somebody that like is kind of a role model for me because he just does something different every time out of the gate. He's kind of... He's really... I'm just in awe of Neil Stevenson. I mean, like, he's, he's, like, more brilliant than I'll ever be. So he's somebody to, like, he's my North Star. You know, you yeah, keep yeah, aiming yeah, yeah. to be, like, yeah. as good as him. So I like him a lot. I like um, uh, Thomas Pynchon. Is, uh, you know, he's not considered an SF author, even though all of his work has been uh, very fantastical. And so he's, he's somebody I, I admire. Uh, they just did, he had his first talk about Vic, talking about bringing stuff to the screen. His first movie, Inherent Vice, that was the first movie made from one of his works. Uh, very interesting uh, film came out a year or two ago. Um, you know, a lot of the classic guys who are still writing, people like uh, Greg Bear and uh, Gene Wolfe and... Uh, uh, Samuel Delaney, just uh, guys I grew up reading. Well, yeah. not not Greg Bear so much because he's more of a contemporary. He's about my age, uh, mm. but but um, uh, there's just so much good stuff out there. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm never at a loss for. Yeah, for something yeah we're gonna we're gonna have to do another uh, book uh, novel <laughs> episode yeah. because we we went over a lot of our favorites previously um, when we first started Me. the show. Uh, and we have a whole episode dedicated, so we we gotta double back, and we yeah, we haven't nice. done a lot of uh, reading lately. Yeah, I've been jonesing to do that, so I'm I'm gonna pick up the the one you recommended. Um, oh, good, instructive. Uh, that that, that yeah. sounds super weird and interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I'll be checking that yeah. out uh, as well. I'm looking forward to getting into. Oh well, uh, thanks. You know, I just I, I, as well. I mean it. Seems like a nice, uh, you know, yeah, like, it's, it's slim, not a you know? ginormous no. volume, no. which I appreciate <laughs> with the time crunch and everything. Sure. So that's awesome. So I'll, I'll be getting into Good. this. Good. I know Maurice has some interest in, you know, getting some opinion out there and everything as well. Well, I appreciate it. Anybody, stuff, so. Like I say, there's so much good stuff. If anybody reads my stuff, it's like an instant compliment just because, I mean, you know, you picked up my thing when you could have picked up a dozen other things right. so I really appreciate it so where, where can we go to, to pick up I know we saw you at the library where else can we just any bookstore yeah a lot my whole backlist is ebooks now which okay. is great oh, so yeah, yeah. because um, and, and I think a couple of them uh, have print editions as well nice. so right. yeah so almost my whole backlist is on uh, ebooks is my publishers uh, a great Firm called Open Road Media, not not no, on I this one, that. yeah, but but they've got they've got all my ebooks out there. I'm so. going all digital. So that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I love my. Kindle. Yeah, I'm kind of you know I grew up in a pre-internet yeah. era and I still love hard copy, uh, but I, I'm gradually you know I just downloaded uh, uh, five volumes of Clifford Simak. He was like a golden age science fiction writer that I really mm -hmm. enjoy. And so I saw, and, and these things, his stories are just not available in other formats. So I said, I got to have these. So I just, I got the Kindle versions of them. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, uh, last, last two questions. Yeah, but, um, I know, you know with, your, with your experience in other comics, like writing for like Marvel or X-Men, um, are there any other comic series that you might want to take a stab at? Any established or current series out there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just, you know, there are so many... So many heroes I grew up reading that uh, that I think you know maybe I could I could 
bring a little twist to them or a little. Uh, I was always a DC guy, so I think I think you know uh, I I came to Marvel kind of second after DC. In fact, I'll tell a quick little story here. When I was um, first reading comics, I had a best friend named Steven, and we uh, decided to maximize our allowance. Uh, I would buy all the DC titles, or you know, as many as I could afford. He'd buy all the Marvel titles, and we'd swap them back and forth. So this is just at the start of the Silver Age. This shows how elderly I'm getting here. <laughs> so, so what I have is I have like Lois Lane number three sixty, and he's got I I I don't uh, Stephen vanished from my life after we after I moved away from from my elementary school town. But what Stephen would buy was like you know Amazing Fantasy number fifteen or whatever. So he has like all the Marvel multi million dollar titles wherever he is now, and I've got I've got a trunk full of like you know Silver Age Jimmy Olsons that are worth like maybe ten dollars a piece or whatever. <laughs> or, or something. So anyway, but I, I don't regret being a DC guy because that's, that's what I grew up on. I, I think there's a lot of DC characters that that need uh, could need rebooting. Like I don't think Hawkman. You know, I mm -hmm. I loved Hawkman. I don't think he's current. He doesn't have an ongoing title, and he's kind of vanished. From is the he universe, on the, uh, Legends of DC, is, is Legend, Legends of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. that's more of like an ensemble cast, right? Sort of thing. Right. Yeah. yeah, but I'm, you know, there, and uh, I mean, um, Rip Hunter, Time Master. You yeah, know, yeah, he's in the yeah. same show. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. so, so, uh, yeah, I'd like to do some DC characters. Awesome, and I know uh, Jim Savard, uh, Hawkman is his favorite. Uh, is yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Good yeah. recollection. Yeah. Friend yeah. of the show, Jim Savard. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and a, a last question: yep. um, What advice or thoughts would you have for anybody looking into um, just getting into not just writing, but any any creative endeavor? Not even not just professionally, but even just for fun. Well, you know, I mentioned I mentioned earlier, you have to go in it with not not to emphasize. Uh, some kind of utopian idealism, but you have to go in it with kind of a purity of intention that like I'm doing this because I have a vision, I've got something to say, I want to share it with people. I'm not doing it to get rich or to get famous or whatever, because I think a lot of people get, get, you know, their motivations get warped a little along those lines. Yeah. And you have to really you know, you have there has to be a fun aspect to it, and and you have to do it just because you love it, whether it's music or painting or writing or comics or whatever, and and you have to say, you know, I'm looking to contribute something to this enterprise that I love, and and if I get feedback, if I get monetary, you know, compensation for it, all of that's great, but but you have to kind of keep your your motives pure, I think, and. You know, you're you're looking to become a professional, but you have to have kind of the the heart of an amateur that you started out with. The kind of you know, not I don't know if you want to say fanboy or whatever, but we all started as readers and fans. Yep. Yeah. And even if you want to turn it into a profession, you have to kind of keep that initial enthusiasm, kind of a almost a naive enthusiasm for whatever you're doing. Now, um, we'll have to have you back on the show because I know we could probably stay here all night oh, asking questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, is there a website that we can follow, like your next move or what you're planning on? What you're well, you on? know, I have an author homepage. Um, 
uh, pauldifilippo.com and there's hyphens between there's like it's like Paul hyphen di hyphen and we had to do that because we had domain squatter stole my original oh, name of it we let it lapse man, and so we sucks. had to come up with the hyphen version but uh, I know it's not updated too often it's more of a historical thing where uh, uh, where you know it lists all my appearances to date and stuff yeah. I it's funny Facebook is kind of, like I always post on Facebook I am yeah, we'll working out, on yeah. something new so yeah. if you can track Perfect. me down on Facebook yeah absolutely we'll, we'll share we'll that share with that yeah. on Facebook yeah. um, anyone have any anything else before we close out yeah. I don't know. It was. I just want to say thanks for having me oh, here. It was thanks for coming you on. guys? Oh, you guys are a bunch of uh, enthusiastic, knowledgeable uh, people who are fun to hang with. That's what I tell myself anyway. They can also find us on the Facebook called Brian Allen Cortex Prime Podcast. You'll uh, you'll find us across the board. Yep, you can find us on uh, Instagram at Cortex Prime Podcast, uh, SoundCloud Cortex Dash Prime, Facebook Cortex Prime Podcast, Twitter Cortex Prime Cast. Uh, email the show Codex Prime at podcast at gmail.com yep let's get a little recorder just record that one <laughs> I, will, I actually plan on doing that I, that was one of the things I plan on doing this weekend and then I watched the other we, <laughs> we are everywhere yeah. just yeah. search for us, us find us yeah. we will be uh, sharing uh, Paul's work uh, yeah. and, and putting out some some thoughts as we uh, as we read yeah um, reading through it all thanks. for sure looking for yeah. like I said I've been looking for for something new to read <laughs> uh, it's it's been a while since I finished all that uh, Jim Butcher stuff um, and the Dark yeah. Tower uh, so I'll definitely uh, be jumping into this um, thanks I hope yeah. it rewards Gladly. the reading oh, I can't mm-hmm. wait yeah I uh, can't wait um, but yeah, thank you again. You're welcome back anytime. Really enjoy Thanks ourselves. So much. And All success, guys, with uh, the show. You've got a good track record of uh, uh, a lot of productions. Thanks. Oh, yeah, thank just, yeah. Just keep on plugging them out. <laughs> <laughs> it's just fun. It's just sitting down with your friends yeah. and having yeah. a chat, you know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. keep an eye out for this Friday for Victor's Corner. Yep. Awesome. Can't wait for that, too. Later, nerds. Later. Peace Adios. out. <laughs> Peace oh, out, everybody. Pleasure.